0: Now that I am my own attending, I'm realizing that um, yes, it certainly is wonderful to make your own decisions, but that can be scary too because you don't have anybody who's looking over your shoulder, double checking you.
1: This is Dr. Chima Melton with the ATS Breathe Easy Podcast. Today I have with me Dr. Cynthia Kim, who is a clinical instructor at University of California, Los Angeles. Hello, Dr. Kim. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia and did the majority of my training there. I went to college at the University of Pennsylvania and then did my medical school and residency training at Drexel University, formerly known as Hahnemann and then did my pulmonary critical care fellowship at Temple
1: University in Philadelphia. So Dr. Kim, I happen to know that you have recently finished fellowship and have been an attendant at UCLA now for about six months. How has your experience been so far?
0: My experience has been great. I think one of the things I realized after finishing fellowship is that I can continue learning and getting better despite the fact that I'm outside of fellowship. I found plenty of support, very similar to when I was in fellowship.
1: Can you tell us some of the challenges you've had in making that transition from a fellow, a senior fellow, to a young attendant?
0: Well, when I was in fellowship, I remember thinking that by the time I graduated, I should be um, this completely independent, fully formed physician. And one of the other things we thought as fellows was, won't it be great to be an attending where you can make your own decisions, you don't have to run things by somebody, it'll be fast and efficient. Now that I am my own attending, I'm realizing that, um, yes, it certainly is wonderful to make your own decisions, but that can be scary too, because you don't have anybody who's looking over your shoulder, double checking you. And so, One of the challenges I found is how do you find that balance of being confident, coming up with your own independent practice style, and yet knowing your limits and
1: getting help when you need to. So that's a great point, Cynthia, Um, trying to find that balance between, you know, being a fellow and transitioning from being a senior fellow to an attendant and, you know, working independently. So how did you go about finding that balance? I
0: think one thing I discovered is that um, everybody likes talking about their difficult cases. I thought when I was a fellow, only fellows liked talking about their cases because they didn't really know what they were doing. But as it turns out, everybody likes talking about their cases. And I find that um, when I have a question about a patient, the person I'm talking to has a similar question about a different patient, and we end up having that same discussion. So... Finding the balance is still a work in progress. There have been some weeks where I try to just go it alone and say I need to practice being independent, and then I end up deliberating over a particular patient for hours and hours and hours until I finally cave, and I say I should have just asked someone for help earlier. And then there are other weeks where I go completely the opposite direction and ask for help entirely too much and learn that I really had the ability to make those decisions in the first place. I think it's, um, it's something that you'll have to learn based on your coworkers. And in that sense, I love working in a larger community like UCLA, where I have the ability to be independent or ask for help when I need to, knowing that there are a
1: lot of colleagues around that are able to help me. Wonderful. So it sounds like it's a work in progress. Certainly. So let's take a step back and talk about where a lot of senior fellows are right now in debating exactly what it is they want to do when they're done with their training. Dr. Kim, how did you decide that um, being an academic clinician was what you wanted to do?
0: Well, I knew that I liked teaching, I really like an academic environment, and I wanted to practice a lot of clinical medicine, so I looked
1: for a clinical instructor position. So also, being in an academic institution, doing your fellowship, there must have been other alternative pathways, such as you know, doing, um, being a researcher, clinician scientist, um, or doing more academic work. Um, why did you decide that neither of those were for you?
0: I think I learned during my training that my true passion is for primarily direct patient care, Um, and focusing on a very, like, definite or narrow research question is not really for me.
1: Okay, so how did you go about finding a job as a senior year fellow?
0: So I went through two different avenues. For a clinical instructor position, I did a lot of asking around. I asked my attendings, um, tried to utilized this network of previous fellows who had um, gotten academic jobs and asking people that I had met at conferences to see if there was any availability. I had been warned going into the search that finding a, a clinical instructor position has a lot to do with luck and timing because it's really just dependent on what's available and if there is an opening at the time you're looking. So for a clinical instructor position, after exhausting my contacts, I um, essentially targeted a a desirable location, such as Los Angeles, and then directly emailed the chairs of the various departments to see if there was an opening. And then with regards to private practice jobs, I looked for them simultaneously, just in case I wasn't able to find a clinical instructor job. And for those, uh, going through a recruiter is very, very helpful.
1: That's helpful to know. And then when it comes to negotiations, did you negotiate salaries and benefits?
0: For, um, just as a tip, for the vast majority of private practice jobs, your, uh, or at least my travel expenses were completely reimbursed. And um, it was sort of a way to gauge the organization of the practice I was going to, how far in advance um, they would help me my own accommodations and that kind of thing but um, for salary and benefit negotiations I waited until after I got an offer once they were able to send me a preliminary contract there was actually a faculty member um, at my fellowship who offered to read over our contracts and pointed out things that I could try asking for and then I would return the contract and say um, you know can I change XYZ the majority of things that are negotiable are small add-on benefits, such as moving expenses, increased time CMEs, or negotiating vacation times. Um, oftentimes, the actual net salary, I found, was not quite negotiable, at least in the beginning, because you're not a partner. You're you know, an associate of their practice, um, but that may
1: vary depending on the location that you go to. So you would definitely recommend negotiating when it comes to private practice positions. That's to be expected.
0: I think it entirely depends on the contract. I think at least I was fortunate in that the majority of the contracts seemed fair and that the um, salary was within the range of what was reported for that area. So you certainly needed to do some research beforehand to know if that contract is appropriate or not. But then It's certainly reasonable to expect uh, small add ons like moving expenses or CMEs if they're not already available in the contract. Those are certainly
1: negotiable. Okay. And then when it comes down to academic positions, did you negotiate after those interviews? Academic positions are a little bit harder
0: because their salary structure is very fixed based on the university. So salary is very difficult to negotiate, and a lot of um, bonuses are also very difficult to negotiate. But what you should do is ask about um, the presence or absence of restrictive covenant. For instance, were you to leave that position, how far would you have to travel in order to get a new job, or um, the presence of CMEs, how flexible um, vacations are, those kinds of things. The salary itself, again, is difficult to negotiate, but the, the added benefits are usually much more negotiable.
1: So Dr. Kim, now you've been working for six months. What have been some of the challenges you've faced with, when it comes to um, work-life balance, trying to keep you know, an active, social and family life in addition to, you know, doing a good job as a and critical care specialist in Los Angeles?
0: Well, I can certainly start off by saying that work-life balance is better as an attending than during fellowship. Some of the differences are that when you're a fellow, your life is very regimented and it's very clear what is your job, what is not your job. It's very set when you're off and when you're on. When you're working as an attending, those lines are a lot fuzzier and they're largely placed there by you. You're no longer working for someone else's deadline, you're working sort of for your own deadlines. Um, One of the ways in which work-life balance can get a little hazy is sort of the, what I'm learning, the customer service side of being a physician. Um, especially at UCLA, they have this great thing called um, UCLA Portal. They really encourage access uh, to um, patients' access to their physicians. So that's great for the patients, and that can be really great for you to respond to emergencies. But you have to learn how to balance um,
1: being available for your patients with giving yourself personal time. So in this day and age, the unfettered access um, that patients really have through technology, whether it's emails or phone calls, um, and, you know, we have these messages on our cell phones um, from patients. So trying to balance that between also maintaining a family life has been challenging. Certainly. But I still think that
0: overall, um, it's better than fellowship it certainly gets better after training and a lot of it is really dependent on how active you want to be there are many physicians who set clear cutoffs like i will not respond to messages on weekends i will not respond after you know this hour of the night and that's one certainly way to to get a work-life balance for myself i've noticed that during my inpatient weeks it's harder to um abide by very hard schedule cutoffs. and so I will call patients back later in the night or on the weekends. In general, I found that patients are very um, grateful for the extra time. They understand that this is all extra work for you and they really appreciate your effort, and so for me, I've been okay um, doing that little bit of extra to make sure that my patients are
1: well, but in the end, it is still me in charge of my own schedule. So what I'm getting from you, Dr. Kim, is that on the whole, you've actually really enjoyed the transition to um, attending life. You've faced some challenges in the form of initially trying to figure out your own practice style. But on the whole, it sounds like you've had more flexibility and um, you're having fun with becoming a junior attendant. So there's hope out there.
0: Oh, definitely. You've spent all of these many years training to be exactly this your own independent practicing physician and it's great. It's not completely easy, but it's certainly worth it.
1: Great, well, Dr. Cynthia Kim, we really appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us today. And um, I'm sure that the um, fellows, both um, junior and senior fellows out there will have a lot to take away from this conversation.
0: Thank you for having me.